Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Chafhei in Maseches Kiddushin. Next week, we're going to start even earlier because of Slichos, so we're going to only have half hour shiurim. So let's practice now, okay? Um, six lines up from where the lines are widest on Chafdalad Amid Bez. And we're going to try to finish the Daf today, Andrew. Here we go. Tanar Banon. Hikawal Einavachasa. What's going on? We had the Evid Kanani, and we know that there are ways that the Evid Kanani can be uh, released with Kesef and with, and, and with Shtar, the different ways, the Machlokes or Chachamim and Rabbi Meir and our Mishnah. But the one thing the Mishnah did not mention was that there are cases where the Evid Kanani does not get released in the formal sort of transactional way that is you know, set up in advance of Kesef and Shtar, but rather... Uh, by virtue of getting injured. There is the dispensation, the Pasuk of the Torah that teaches you that when the Evid gets hit in the eye or, right, or the tooth, he gets released. We're going to discuss that Pasuk a little bit more today. And so that's, that's the question. Um, when does he get released? And the questions we'll be discussing today are what if his tooth or eye was already not functional? Does, and then you knock it out. Does he still get released? Or the other, uh, the other scenario, what if his tooth and eye didn't get knocked out, just got a little injured? Does he still get released? So let's see. Tanar Rabbanan, that's what we're going to ask. So here, the Evan gets hit in the eye, but it just becomes weaker. It doesn't, right, become, it doesn't fall out. It doesn't get totally uh, destroyed. Alshino v'nadada, right? The tooth becomes mobile, but it doesn't fall out. So if the eye and the tooth are still functional, right, they're injured, it's mobile, it's not great, but it's usable, then that's not enough to pass the threshold and the evidence does not go free. But if the eye and the tooth are rendered dysfunctional by the blow, and the evidence is going to be released. Another brisa. Tanya Idach, along the same lines. Haresha, Isa Eino Kehuya Visima. So now it's the second case that we were discussing, where the eye was already in bad shape and weak, and now he became totally blinded. Shino Neduda Vahipila. The tooth had grade three mobility. It was kind of dangling, and now, but now it's knocked out. So same exact uh, principle. If prior to getting knocked out, the albeit dangling tooth and right uh, messed up eye were not great, but uh, but still functional. And now they were rendered totally dysfunctional or knocked out. So then the evidence is going to go free. Beam love. However, if they were uh, dysfunctional already, right? The tooth was hanging by a thread. Only the plaque in the mouth. I don't want to get involved. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to get too uh, dental, but. Right, if the situation was that there was totally already dysfunctional, it was just kind of there. So then, knocking it out is not going to render the evid to go free. Ain't evid Evid does not go free from that. So now the Gemara is going to say, Utsricha, why do you need both cases after all? In both cases, it's the same principle, right? If it was functional, now it's dysfunctional. The evid goes free. Otherwise, if it was already dysfunctional, or if the blow, you know, took a functional thing and didn't make it dysfunctional. So then the evidence is not going to go free. It's a, it's a principle that's illustrated in two ways. So the Gemara simply says, so if you've only learned the first case, uh, right, 
And you would have thought that the only way the slave, the slave goes free is if originally he had good vision. And now his vision is diminished. But where his vision was already diminished, you would have said no. So that's why you have to have, right, the Bryce that teaches you no, that you could even have a situation where you didn't have great teeth and eyes in the first place, but if it got diminished from being functional to dysfunctional, he's going to go free. And conversely, if you only learned the second bright, so you would have said, well, no. Maybe the answer is that you have to be completely blinded. But maybe in the case where, maybe if you're not completely blinded, you don't go free. And the answer is, again, the principle is if it goes from function to dysfunction, that's when the avid goes free. So that's a simple, right? And, and again, it doesn't matter whether you started with perfect vision or not. It doesn't matter whether you totally blinded him or not. If you took him from function to dysfunction, those are the parameters where an Evid becomes free. So now related to that, Tanar Banan, Rabba Rofe. Fascinating question. What if the what if the master is a doctor? And he's trying to do when I he's an ophthalmologist, he's trying to do an eye procedure on his Evid. And in so doing he blinds him. Or the master is a hygienist. And he's lachtor, lachtor. Sometimes when they give you cleaning, it sounds like, it feels like they're digging, lachtor, to dig. Rashi, lachtor, l'nakor ul'garer saviv moshava. Wow, Rashi. High dental IQ. L'garer saviv moshava, to scrape around the dental housing of the tooth. How do you like that? Scaling and root planing. Good for you, Rashi. Okay. So lachtor l'ashinov hipila. Okay, but then in so doing, he's knocking out the tooth. So, he can laugh at the master. I mean, I don't know how funny it is that he got totally uh, butchered, but he can laugh at the master. I don't know why he uses that lashon, and he goes free, which is to say, he, uh, this is malpractice, okay? <laughs> Medical malpractice, right? You go in for an eye procedure, and you come out blind. That's classic medical malpractice, okay? So that even though with all good intentions, is going to set you free. You learn from the Pasuk, that no, the, it's not. If you had good intentions, right, in the Pasuk where it says that the Eved, that you go free from the Eved, right, and it gets destroyed. And it gets destroyed, says Rav Shimon Gamliel, implies intent. There was an intent to just, so in this case of malpractice, it may not have been the best practice, um, and, and he uh, eventually <clears throat> blinded the Evid. However, that was not the intention, certainly. It was, if it's not intentional, says Shimon Gamliel, the Pasuk implies intent. If it's not intentional, the Evid does not go free, as he says. The only way, right, so he's arguing with Tanakama. He says the only way the Evid is going to go free is if he intentionally had his eye blinded, but otherwise, no. Who hold that if he tried on purpose and then didn't, uh, and, and if he, I'm sorry, if he didn't intentionally knock out the eye, where what do they do with the pasuk v'shichasa that the Rishim Galil uses to learn intent? Says Gemara, we learn it for this following brayser. The let's say the master was an OBGYN. Okay, and he's delivering the, the Evid's baby, or the Shifcha's 
in this case, right? Shifcha Kanana's baby. And he's trying to d- deliver her child. The, the labor becomes complicated. And he's bringing in the tongs and he's trying to like get this baby out. And sure enough, the, he blinds the fetus in her womb in the procedure. Says the Brisa, according to Rabbi Lazar, putter. He's not held responsible. In other words, normally you'd be held responsible, but the, the, I guess the, he would go free, right? Because you blinded that evidence. But why is he putter? My time at the so the Rabbanon are going to learn this Vashichasa. That yes, both the Rabbanon agree with Shem Gamliel. Vashichasa means that the injury has to be an injury of intent. But not an injury of intent so, uh, of like this. That it has to be, they both say that it has to be Kavana. But what's the difference with the case of the child in the womb during delivery and the Evid during the uh, ophthalmology procedure? So that's what Rashi explains. The threshold of malpractice, Andrew. Right? After all, Barry, let's say there's no informed consent, right? Nobody knows what they're going in, right? The, so wouldn't you say in, in terms of malpractice law, right? If somebody goes in for an eye procedure to make their eye better and they lose their vision, so then obviously that's medical malpractice, right? Albeit not intentional, that's a, that is clearly malpractice, right? Because that's what he came in for. So the guy obviously didn't do what he was meant to do, as opposed to, right, things go helter-skelter during a labor and delivery, and the guy is doing his best to save the baby. So that's the different thing. You're not going to necessarily, you know, inform consent when I was standing. They may try to sue you, but they'll say, this, is, this was best practice. They tried, right? Uh, had to blind the baby to, 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 to save the baby's life. This was not a normal situation, right? This was, things got out of hand. You know, so that's a different situation, right? When you're going in and you're actually um, messing up the thing that you were actually hired to do, so that's a much different uh, threshold. So it's fascinating uh, to me to see that both of them hold the Vashichasa has to be intentional. But, you know, intent has gradations also, right? In the case of the eye, he was intending, as Rashi explains, and Rashi spells this out a little differently in the meaning, but basically the same thing, that in the case of the eye, he had intention to work on the eye. And, and so maybe in that case, they would say that if he blinded him, even though he didn't intentionally do it, at least he was in the area. And that, in the case, right, if it was a malpractice case, he would get sued. However, in the, or lose his license or whatever. Whereas in the case of the obstetrician, right, he's not thinking about the eye at all. He's just trying to think about the medical procedure. So therefore, it would be a, situa- a, a different threshold of malpractice. And that's the difference. But both of them learn Mishik just for a different thresholds. Wow, very interesting. So if that's the case, um, what, why does Rosh Hashim Gamliel and the Rabbanon learn different things from Mishik Says the Gemara, Ve'idach. How does Rosh Hashim Gamliel, right, learn the law from Mishik uh, Where is he going to learn? So you could say, Right, because he has a higher threshold. So what is he doing about the baby? He says, The the Torah could have said, But it says, With the extra hey. That indicates an additional halacha. Right? Um, Okay. So that's talking about the eye as well. And since the Chachamim don't hold of this, So they only have it, the, the halacha of the Brisa, Right, where if the, for the OBGYN not being able to knock out the eye, but they don't have the halacha of the actual uh, ophthalmologist knocking out the eye. And that accounts for the difference between Rosh Hashim and, and the Chachamim with regards to the doctor master doing the eye procedure ophthalmology on the evidence. Now, three lines down from the bottom, Amr Shaychus. 
what if they had a blind Evid, right? So everything's already that's dysfunctional. The only thing is the eye is in place, and now you knock the eye out of the head. So says Rav Sheishas, Evid In that case, the Evid is going to go free. My time, huh? Why? Because that's the next level thing. In other words, missing a limb is an, is an entirely different thing, and that for sure is going to be rendering the Evid one less limb is for sure going to set him free. And we have a Tana who supports this. Where does it come from? Tamas v'zachros b'behema v'ein tamas v'zachros b'ofos. Fascinating principle. You may not have noticed it. It's the second to last Rashi on Chavdal and Beis. The Pasuk of Ayikris says by the Korbanos, when you bring a Korban, right, tamim, zachar, you'll notice that that is true only in behemas, right, in cattle. Right? It'll say that you need it to be a male, it needs to be without blemish. You will notice that when it comes to oaf, to fowl, you don't have that. Did you ever notice that, Andrew? That if you bring a, a bird, it doesn't matter whether it's a male or a female? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> right? It's non-gender specific. This is only true of behemoths that's gender specific. Wow. So, so now when you're bringing this, this bird, right? There is no gender specificity, and there's also it doesn't have to be uh, it doesn't have to be without blemish. Wow! So at what point? How far does that go? This without blemish, you could bring a bird that has that's like totally blind, that's missing that's missing wings, that's missing a head. I mean, where does this lack of blemish requirement? How far does it go? Says the Gemara, Yachol Yavsha Gapa. You might have thought a withered wing, or Nikta Ragla, or a severed leg or nechta ena, or like no eyes in the socket, like one of these really sorry looking, you know, uh, dolls, you know, you gave the, a bird doll that you gave to a kid that just passed down from generation to generation, it's missing a head and a leg and the eyes out. You might've thought that one of those could be brought as a karbanus, no. Talmud lomar mina of. The Pasuk says no, you could bring karbanus mina of, but it has to be like, you know, below, it has to be like at least an intact bird. But look, holo, not like a bird that's missing any any bird that's missing a leg or a head or anything like that has to have has to be intact. Oh, so what's the what's the raya here? It means that missing limbs are objectively a mum, even if even in a case where it's where a mum is right allowed, as in the case of a bird by carbonos, that's that that's not the same thing as a missing limb, right? So it's a fascinating uh, analogy that even though. The birds don't have to be tamim, right? They don't have to be fully, fully unblemished. They still have to be somewhat intact. That's a different, again, threshold. And once you have a different threshold, so that means that if it's missing limbs, then for sure that's going to render the fowl, right, non-eligible for kabanos. And if that's the case, so similarly, uh, if an evid is missing a limb, that would certainly qualify him for, uh, that would certainly qualify him uh, to go free. And so the analogy kind of works, right? You could bring a blind bird, right? As long as it looks kind of intact and the eye is in place. And it, however, if it would knock an eye, you would not be able to bring it as a korban. So similarly, right? A blind evid that gets an eye knocked out, that's a different fundamental category of person and therefore he should go free. Fine. So Amr Khibar Ashim Rav, that's the final line. Let's see, what time do we have? 551. Perfect practice, Andrew. Here we go. We have a half an hour. Let's see if we can do this next week. Okay, here we go. Yitzeres v'chatacha. Isn't that amazing, the exquisite timing? Like a Swiss army 
No, okay, I'm sorry, Andrew. Here we go. Terechadecha. What's your seris? Polydactyly, Andrew. Extra fingers. Evid yotzebehem lecheris. If you cut off, right, if he's like Antonia and Alfonseca or Frankie fingers, uh, they had extra fingers and you cut off one of them, he goes free. It's interesting because now he has five. No, he had extra and he, and he, and he cut it off, then he goes free. So Amar of Huna, Vahushini Speris al Gavayad. As Rashi explains, it has to be Bashura Sharat's buzz. If you have a finger coming out of your elbow and you cut it off, you're not going to set the Evid free. But if it looks like it's part of your hand and you cut it off, that's going to set the Evid free. Fascinating. Okay, two lines down, two dots. Sa and Chafei. We're learning Chafei today. Save de Nizunya. The elders of Nizunya. Oh, these guys were characters. Watch these guys. Really a rough crowd, the elders of Nizunya. First of all, they ditched Rav Chista's shear. They didn't go. So if Chista says to Rav Nuna, go and put him in Cherem. Okay, so I guess they learned it from their master. So it's a different times, Barry. Uh, simpler times. Rav Nuna goes to the right, elders of Nizunya and he says, my time is lost, Rav Nuna. Why didn't you go to Shir? So they said to him, why should we go to Shir? We go, we ask him a question, and he doesn't answer us. So Amr Lahus, or Nuna says to them, have you ever asked a question of me that I haven't answered? So the article quotes the Ben Yahayada that apparently explains the unique structure of this conversation. They didn't say that Rav Nuna didn't answer him. They said that Rav Chista didn't answer him. So what does, it, what does it matter that Rav Nuna is not going to answer? So maybe it's just kind of like a generalized thing. Like they're saying the rabbis don't answer our questions. Or Rav Nuna says, I, we can answer your questions. Uh, something like that. Or maybe Rav Nuna was kind of like the meshiv, as you would say. Uh, right? He was kind of like the, the uh, teacher's assistant uh, for Rav Chistashir. And so he's helping them out. And he said, you know, Rebbe is, uh, you know, he's, a, he's aloof, perhaps. But I... I can answer your questions. So come to Shir. Anyway, Bomene, so fine. So they ask Rav Amnuna, the elders of, of Nizunya ask Rav Amnuna the following question. Here we go. Evid Shasir, so Rabbi Beitz and Mao. Okay. Uh, you have to treat your Evid nice, Andrew. You definitely do. Uh, and therefore, this is not recommended. There is a question, a little bit at Alecha, and we're going to take a hard position on this, even though we're not Rabban and Barry. You have to treat your Evid nice. You don't kick him uh, or or uh, maim your Evid. Don't do it. Even the Torah says to do it. But that's the question, Barry. Does the Torah say that you only have to set him free if he gets injured, but otherwise you can beat your Evid? I don't think so. I'm going to say no. Definitely treat him nice. So, but the question is, not treat him nice. The question is, when does he go free? So the master kicks him in the groin, okay? So does he go free? Well, what's the question? Well, we already said yesterday. The... Uh, in order to be able to be set free, the place where you are injured for whatever reason, right? It says shein ve'ayin. What did we learn, Barry? The klal the klal. The shein ve'ayin ha- are both visible. Oh, okay. They're both visible and functional, okay? And then we said that we carried, and we're going to learn it today, how we carried over to the chavdal evarim, okay, to other evarim. But those are only evarim that are what? Visible, like the fingers, and the toes, because we're assuming open-toed shoes. This isn't based Yaakov, Andrew. But the fact is that the groin area is not visible. So what, if you kick an Evid in the groin and he's really injured, he's not going to go free? So that's what, the, that's what they wanted to ask Rav Hamnuna. It's not considered a visible or not. So law of the other, Rav is like, you know what, I really don't know. 
Uh, you're right. I don't know the answer. So Amrullah Mashmacha. They said, "What's your name?" So he said, "I'm Hamalahu Hamnuna." Hamnuna. So Amrullah, "Lav Hamnuna Ella Karnuna." Oh my goodness! So insulting. Karnuna is not Karduna, Andrew. This is Karnuna, as Rashi says, Yoshiv Kronos, right from the Lushan, right? Um, the Yoshiv Kronos are the people that don't learn Torah. They're not a Ben Torah. You know nothing. Oh my God! Very, very, very disparaging. So also the Kameda of Chista. So Rav Hamnuna goes back to Rav Chista and Amalei Masnisa Baominach, and they said they asked the question. So it looks like he was a Meishim, right? He goes to Rav Chista. He said, "I wasn't able to answer their question." These tough guys. It's a very tough crowd. They asked the following. So I'm sorry. So also look at Rav Chista. Rav Nuna goes and he relates to Rav Chista what happens. So then Rav Chista says back to him, "Masnisa Baominach." They were asking you a Mishnah. Watch how well Rav Chista knew the Mishnah. He made an inference as following: The Tanan. We learn in the Mishnah and the Gaim, and this is where we learn all the Evarim where it never goes free. What's going on here? Well, as a correlation, we saw this already. I just kind of hid the ball. I didn't mention it earlier, but this is really the source. There's a Mishnah in the Gaim which discusses the following thing. When it comes to a nega, a michia is the tzaras, okay? Is the lesion that you see with tzaras. So the Mishnah in the Gaim says that there's 24 limbs that are sort of the tips of the limbs, the Roshe Evarim, and you can't become, right, uh, tame with a, with a tzaras lesion on those limbs. So I'm going to say the reason why first, and then I'll tell you what the limbs are. Rashi goes through it. I'll say it outside. See the Rashi there? That in the Gaim, Miches Basar Chai, it says, Kol kula nires ka'achas. What does it mean? Like this. The topography of the limb, Barry. It has to be that the Kohen has to be able to see Kemare Achas. He has to be able to see the entire limb, not by looking around from different vantage points, but it has to be almost like if he sees it, let's say, on the arm, right? It has to be like, look at him like if he took a two-dimensional photo, you could see the entire limb in its entirety. It can't be that you need to uh, do the digital scan like we do with the Itero scan and see it in all three dimensions, right? It has to be an old-school, right, panoramic radiograph, an old school two-dimensional scan, right, a photo, and uh, if you could see the lesion there, then it's good. So the topography of, let's say, the finger, if you, the tips of the fingers have this Saras lesion on them, so you can't see it. You have to go circumferentially and look at it from different vantage points. Those limb tips cannot become tummy, okay, because, again, it's a technicality in the Pasuk that the coin has to be able to see it all in one shot not from different vantage points. And therefore, they cannot become tummy. That's relevant for us, as we'll see in a second. So, Be'eluhain, first of all, what are those limb tips? Roshay, Tzbos, Yudayim, Raglayim. So if you're counting, that's already 20. The fingertips and the toe tips. Roshay is nine, that's 22. The tips of the ears, the edges of the ears, that again, have a topography where it kind of circles around. So if you have a tzaras curling around your ear, you're not going to be able to be tummy from that. For Roshay, Chosim, the tip of the nose, Roshay, Gvia. Right? At the tip of the male member. Okay? And, wait a minute. There's more than 24 here. Uh, the count is coming off because we're already up to 24. And the tip of the woman's breast. And also men. So he's got 28. So how, how do you get to, to this? Um, and that's the Machlokas with the Tanakama. So I don't know where they get to 24, honestly, uh, over here. Roshay, it's supposed to be did I, did I overcount tops off? Tops off? Okay. I'm not sure how we got to 24. Anyway, 
so then he goes like this: If Tani Allah, Anos Bechulan Evin Yotzer Evin Yotzer Me Mecheres, and there's a brisa about that Mishnah, right, where it discusses that this by these Evin Yotzer Me Mecheres. So it's interesting. It happens to be that those which protrude, even though you can't get Saras from them, any of those limbs would qualify for the ever to go out on freedom, uh, to freedom. Why? Because they're exposed and they don't regenerate. Right? Those are all limbs that are exposed, typically. You're wearing the open-toe sandals. You got your fingers, right? And I suppose your nose and ears, certainly. So maybe that's why it's 24. Because that's where the 24 stops. And the, and, and the other ones are more concealed. I'm not 100% sure about the count. But be that as it may, Rebbe Yomer Afa Sirus. So now Rebbe is going to say even Sirus, which really is like sterility, uh, which the arts called, calls emasculation. And Benazo Yomer Afa Lashen, also the tongue. So we're going to talk about the tongue and we're going to talk about the groin because those are areas that are sort of concealed or maybe not. And based on that, now, again, the, the groin is not going to be considered concealed necessarily because you're wearing clothing. It might be just considered concealed because you cannot tell. And that's what the Gemara discusses now. Amar Mar, Rebbe Omer Afa Sirus. Right, when you get knocked in the groin, Sirus Demai, what kind of emasculation are we talking about? Elema Sirus Degid, right, the actual mem, uh, male member, Haina Gavia, if you'll notice. That was one of the, Rosh Gavia was one of the, right, Avar mentioned in the Mishnah in the Gaim. So then it would be redundant. It can't mean that. Elalav Sirus Devetim, right? So it must mean, right, that, that he's, that he's going in for the uh, scrotum. So what's going on here, what's going on here is that Rav Chista is inferring, right, from the, bri- from the brisa that makes an inference on the Mishnah, and he therefore understands that the Mishnah must be referring to the Beitzim, and therefore that is enough to set an Evid free because that is what the brisa said about the Mishnah. It was quite esoteric for Rav Chista to pick up on that nuance in the mission of the way he puts it together with the Brisa. Okay. So now there we have a machlokas, right? Because Rebbe said af hasirus, because that's how he understood it. And when, and the, and the, what, what Rebbe said with regards to the mission, saying af hasirus, right, is in fact, right, must be referring according to the inference to the Beitzim. So, for Rebbe Lashon Lo, can it be that Rebbe would hold that the Beitzim is going to set him free, but the tongue not? After all, we have a following b'risa. The b'risa says like this. Let's say a cohen is sprinkling what? The mechatas of the paraduma on somebody in order to purify them. V'nitza hazal piv. Right? And the, and the um, mechatas sprinkle into his mouth. Rebbe Omer Hiza, that that's okay because the mouth is considered a, uh, an exposed organ. V'chamer omrim lo and the Chacham say he hasn't sprinkled it because it's a hidden, and therefore the whole sprinkling is not valid. What are we talking about? As follows. The sprinkling of the... Uh, okay. There's a difference between dunking in the mikvah and getting spritzed by the mechatas. The spritzing of the mechatas has to hit you on one of your organs in order to be valid. Right? It's a different thing. It doesn't have to cover your whole body. That's a lot of mechatas, Barry. We don't have that kind of quantity of mechatas. That's very valuable stuff. The mechatas is like more, right, more valuable. We learned Masechus Yuma. It's not easy to get. He carried it in these vials over the Yardane, remember, with the ship. I mean, it, the mechatas was very, very valuable. So, of course, you're not going to 
pour gallons of it on a person. You're sprinkling it like the more expensive than the world's most expensive perfume. What if you get it on his tongue, says the Gemara, right? My lava lishana, aren't they arguing a case of sprinkling on his tongue? After all, if he sprinkled it on his lips, they're assuming, then that's gully. That's for sure going to work. That's exposed, right? And so if they sprinkled it into his, you know, esophagus, then of course it's not exposed. It must be this whole machlokas of whether he is or isn't considered tahor by the sprinkling on this organ must mean that it's talking about his lashon. And that's how we know that the lashon is this controversial thing. Not everybody holds that it's an exposed organ. So the Gemara says, lo. Al-Sfasav. Rebbe would have to say that the case of the sprinkling of the mechatas is referring to when it's sprinkled on his lips, okay? And therefore, Rebbe is considering the lips exposed, but not the tongue. Says the Gemara, al-Sfasav, pshita. The lips are for sure exposed. Everybody can see your lips. Rebbe says, maybe not. Mo, you might have thought, zimah dechalim sfasayim, sometimes you purse your lips so tightly that you can't even see them. Kamash malan, that no, that even though you sometimes can purse your lips tightly and you can't see them, as long, if the mechatas end up sprinkling, you know, he decided to spritz it in your face and it only got on your lips, those are exposed enough that you're going to be tahar. Wow. However, says the Gemara, v'hatanya al-lishono. Well, we have a b'risa where they, they literally argued about the case where it was sprinkled on his tongue. The Otanya, and we have another b'risa about blemishes that make a b'chor and fit for Right, korban v'shenital rov halashon, where most of the tongue is removed. And Rebbe Yomer rov hamedaber shebel shono. What's going on here? Well, when when you eat tongue, okay, when you have the tongue of an animal, so or when a human tongue has a couple of portions to it, right? There's the tongue. The medaber is the part that like flutters around, as Rashi explains, that isn't connected to anything, right? And that's how you talk. Right, Rashi says, "Mimokum prishas dibuko," where it's not connected to the floor of the mouth. So, "Mimokum prishas dibuko v'lamala kari medaber." Right, even though, as Rashi points out, "Medab dibur behim l'shaycha," animals don't speak. They call it medaber. Hovu medaber v'lashon adam. In other words, we call it the speaking portion of the tongue, even though animals don't speak, uh, unless you're Doctor Doolittle. We, but because that's the human speaking portion, which is to say as follows: Right, you have the, what's called the base of the tongue and the tip of the tongue. So the tip of the tongue is the part that you use to speak. The base of the tongue is just attached to the floor of the mouth. Anyway, the point is that even the majority of the speaking part of the tongue is going to make the Bechor unfit for sacrifice. So we see from here that he considers the tongue an exposed organ. We have multiple braces that, um, right, that illustrate the fact that if you get sprinkled on the tongue, that's considered exposed. So why are we saying that Rebbe holds that, it's the, that, that the tongue is not considered exposed? That's the question. Okay, says the Gemara. Ella Rebbe Omer Sirus. Rebbe must mean that when he co- that that Sirus means emasculation frees a slave. And certainly the tongue, right? In other words, again, what did Rebbe say? Rebbe said that if you get that if the that if the uh, slave experiences Sirus, that he goes free. So we said, does that mean that if he actually gets his tongue knocked off, that he does not go free? So no. So initially we thought maybe Rebbe holds that the tongue is concealed. Now we're saying no. Rebbe holds that the tongue is for sure considered not concealed, but exposed. And once he holds that Cyrus is going to set the Evid free, then Lomi Bailashan, certainly the tongue, we just demonstrated, certainly Rebbe holds that the tongue um, would set the slave free. Okay. And Benazai Amar Lashon of Al Cyrus Lo. 
Benazai is going to say only the tongue is going to set him free, but actually he's going to consider Sirius to be concealed. Umay af. So why do he say af? So this is an unusual thing. Apparently, when the Brisa was constructed, Benazai said af, the word also the tongue. Well, what do you mean also the tongue? So it says the Gemara, akamaisa. He meant in reference to additional to the first ones, the first 24 Ivarim. In other words, we had the first 24 Ivarim, and then he said, Afaloshon. That was the way the Brisa was constructed. But he meant that, right, but the Sirus not. Because when he says Afaloshon, it sounds like he means the Sirus, right, that the Sirus and the tongue. No, that's not what he meant. He meant the 24 Ivarim and the tongue, and the Sirus not. Whereas Rebbe holds both the seerus and the tongue would be enough to set the Evet free. So the Gemara, Ihachi, Nekadma de Benazabereisha. Right, so what he's saying now is the structure of the Brisa is unusual. Why is Benazai, if he's modifying the first 24 Ivarim, why is he mentioned after Rebbe, right? In other words, the Af is sort of like hanging in midair, right? It should have been attached to the first part of the Brisa. Says the Gemara, fascinating thing. Tana Shema'ala Rebbe. The Tana first heard Rebbe's statement, and then Ukvah. And then established it as a brisa, and then Shmuel the Benazai Vitani, and then they heard Benazai afterwards. In other words, it had to do with the sequence with which we learned the Tanaim. So Rashi goes through the history of it and uh, and says the Gemara Koma. So Rashi explains it as follows, and I'll say it outside. Okay, that the way they used to learn Torah Shabbat is they would chazer the Avarim over and over again. They would, they would chazer, whether it's a Mishnah or a Brisa, they would chazer it over and over again, Balpet, right? They would keep reviewing it, Balpet. Then, so the sequence with which you learned it matters. In other words, even though, then they learned what Rebbe taught them. So then they learned the whole Mishnah with what Rebbe taught them. And then Ben-Azai happened to have modified, not what Rebbe said, Ben-Azai was modifying the original Mishnah. So if you were the Rambam, you would take the whole Gemara, and you'd say, this is just a disorganized mess. I'm going to codify this. I'm going to cut it all out, splice it, and put it in logical order. Okay, the Ramam could do that. He could write the Mishnah Torah. But that's not how the Tanaim learned it. They had to memorize it. It was all Balpet. They weren't writing it down. So they, it's true that Benazai was modifying the original Mishnah, but they already like, learned the song, so to speak, in its proper order. As, as Rashi says, it's a fascinating thing. He says... Right, this is the sixth wide line. That's the end of that Rashi meaning. Once you learned it in a certain way, the song, so to speak, it's very hard to unlearn it and it's confusing. So when you're learning Torah Shabbat Peh, even though Ben Azai is really modifying the 24 Avarim portion of the Mishnah, you're going to stick it in after Rebbe. So the word af sounds like it's like hanging in midair and it's modifying Rebbe, but it's not. It's modifying the original Brisa, and the only reason it appears that way is because that's how you memorize it easier. All right. So, Amar, Amar Ula, Kolmodim Belashan Lenin Tuma, the Galu Yetzelasheretz. A fascinating con- um, contradiction with the Lashon. That when it comes to becoming Tuma, right, it's considered Galu for the Sheretz, which is to say, if a Sheretz lands on someone's tongue, it's for sure going to render that person Tame. My Taima, how do we know? Because Asher Yigabo Amarachmana. Because the Pasuk says, if the Sheretz touches you, behind Nami Bar Nagiyahu. And certainly, a, a tongue is an is a organ of the body that can be touched. So, however, however, when you're going into the mikvah to become tahar, it's considered concealed. How do we know? My time, because if you read the whole Pasuk, the Pasuk says, That's Bissaro. That's referring to the mikvah only purifying the portion of your skin that's exposed. 
My Abrai, as the Gemara says, just like the flesh is outside the body, so too all organs that are exposed, are gonna, if they, they have to come into contact with water, and the inside of the mouth is not considered ex- exposed, right? Right, the Pasuk says, You're sprinkling it on the Tameh. So you become purified on the seventh day, and then you, you clean your clothing, and then you wash and you're tahar. So it comes out, right, a halachic uh, anomaly. If your tongue, in other words, ironically, you're, if a sheretz lands on your tongue, you become tame. But when you go in the mikvah, you don't need to have your tongue washed in order to become tahar, right? So you became tame via your tongue, but you don't need your tongue to become uh, tahar when you dunk in the mikvah. You get it? So it says the Gemara, Lo el in So now we're going to say, what's the machlokas Rebbe and the, and the Chachamim with, with, with regards to whether the tongue is an exposed organ? They didn't. Dis, they only disagreed with regards to Hazah. Rebbe medamalei letumah, Rebbe medamalei and that's really the machlokas. Rebbe says it's like sprinkling with regards to how you become tame, and so with regards to that, the tongue's considered exposed. And the Rabbanon are comparing it to the Tvila portion, which is considered concealed, and it doesn't have to be uh, included in that. They're both arguing about how to read the same Pasuk. The Pasuk says, right? And we just read the whole Pasuk. Rabbi Savar, right? That the Vechito, the, which is actually means purification, is going on what makes you tame, which is to say the tongue in that context is included in the purification. Therefore, since it become tame, sprinkling on the tongue, right? So the question is, now we talked about becoming tame. There's three things, guys. There's becoming tame, the tongue will for sure can become, make you tame. There's becoming tahar in a mikvah, the tongue for sure doesn't have to be out in the mikvah. Don't stick your tongue out in the mikvah, Barry. That's nasty. It's beard smoothie, especially if you go later in the day. Don't do it. However, right, when it comes to hazah, sprinkling on the tongue, right, that's the question. Is it like becoming tame and therefore it would work on the tongue? Or is it like becoming tahor and therefore it would not work on the tongue? That's the machlokas. So when you read the pasuk, the first part of the pasuk say ala tame. That's how, right, that's how Rabbi holds. Rabbanon, however, Rabbanon is saying that the purification process has to do with the rachatz which is the tvila. So is this is purification of the sprinkling? Is it tied to the first part of the pasuk, which is how you become tame and the tongue is considered exposed, or is it tied to the second part of the pasuk, which is how you become tar in a mikvah and and therefore the tongue is considered concealed? So this says the Gemara. Rabbanon nami nedami latuma. Why are they reading either the first or the end of the pasuk? Why do the Rabbanon not hold like Rebbe? Yeah, it should be more com- comparable to the mikvah because after all, the sprinkling is purification, the mikvah is purification, therefore it should be more similar to the mikvah. Whereas Rebbe, Nedami Lilatvila, so why does Rebbe not hold to that and compare it to the Tvila? It says, Vechibes Begadav, Hifsika Inyan. When you read the Pasuk, it says, Vechitoba Yamashvish, become pure, and then Vechibes Begadav. Now you're starting to launder your clothes. That stops the topic and therefore it severs the concept of. Tahar from the mikvah and tar of the hazah and relates it the tar of the hazah back to the first part of the pasuk which makes it tame. So the Gemara dummy. Now the Gemara says Rebbe is internally contradicting. It sounds like uh, he holds that the tongue is con- is considered concealed 
But that can't be true. There was actually a shivcha in Rebbe's own household. She immersed herself in the mikveh. He found a bone between her teeth. And even though that bone was intraoral, right, it was in the, what Rebbe would otherwise consider concealed where the tongue is, he made her go dunk again. You see that he holds up the tongue and the, in, in the, the oral cavity is in fact concealed. So granted, we don't need uh, the water to actually tug. Um, to, so what's the answer? The answer is a very fascinating answer that has many applications to halacha. Even though the water itself doesn't have to go in the mouth, it needs to be that the mouth doesn't have a chatzitza in it. It can't have the bone in the mouth. You have to floss before you go to the mikvah. Why? Because that we apply menachos kuf gimel, amad beis, kerebi zera. The famous principle of Rabbi Zera. When you bring a korban menachos, it has to be fit for blending, right? The ratio of the oil and the flour has to be enough that if you were to mix it together, right, it would create a dough. Does it have to be, can it be chunky? It could. It doesn't have to be the perfect mix, right, in the, in the bread maker or whatever. But at least it has to be roi labila. It has to be at least a ratio that's able to be mixable. But if you can't, right, if it's the ratio is wrong, so then the inability to mix it is going to make it invalid. So again, it doesn't have to be mixed, but it has to be fit to be mixed. So similarly here, the water doesn't have to go into your mouth to make you tahor, but it has to at least be able to go into your mouth such that if there, such that there's an absence of a chatzitza, because the chatzitza is going to make it totally tummy. Uh, rather, a chatzitza is going to prevent it, even though, again, the water doesn't have to go into your mouth. The fact that the, if the water were to go into your mouth, it still wouldn't reach the oral cavity because you have some chatzitza in there, postles it. So you have to take it out. It has to be eligible for water to go into your mouth, but don't let the water go into your mouth. That part is unnecessary. Fascinating basic concept. Kitanai, and then we learn the Bryce as follows. With regards to the, uh, right, mumim in animals, now getting back to the squash, crushed torn, right, this is a crushed shifcha, lo yavo v'kal, says the, right, so lo yavo v'kal, this individual can't daven with your, right, this coin can't, can't do the avod, kulam him. Is that referring, when it says crushed, torn, or severed, is that referring entirely, right, to, to the beitzim? Diva Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says yes, says the Gemara. Wait a minute, bebeitzim, velo begid? Why the beitzim and not the actual gid? Says the Gemara, ela kulon af bebeitzim. Diva Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, certainly the gid, right? If it was squashed, crushed, or torn, or severed, it would consider him a course shifcha. Uh, and also the beitzim. So the Bryce says, Rabbi Lezman, Yaakov, Amer, kulon begid. No, it's all talking about only the gid, not the beitzim. Rabbi Yossi, Amer, Mach Vakosus. Rabbi Yossi splits the difference. He says, when it says squashed and crushed, that's the gid and the beitzim. Nasuk Vakaros, when it says, Torn and severed, that's begid in, bebeitzim lo, that's referring to the gid, but not the beitzim, because the beitzim, even when they're severed, they're still, right, in the sack, and therefore that is going to be considered, uh, that's considered uh, not noticeable, and therefore, whether they're exposed or not, right, it's going to be subject to this machlokas tanaim with regards to the evid, don't do this to the evid ever, um, but there, there is still a machlokas as to whether the evid will go free. So I think we did great, Andrew. Because we got up to a very, very uh, reproducible point, a whole new topic. So tomorrow, God willing, we'll talk about the Kenyan Behema, Behema, Gas, and Nicknames with the Mishnah on Chafei Ahmed Beis.